David Livingston traveled many parts of Africa. Matter of fact, he covered the continent. He traveled some 30,000 miles in Africa. His travels were from 1851 to 1856. Just that alone included a walk across Africa, which went 4,000 miles from east to west. I mean, this was a, a very difficult place to travel. It wasn't with sidewalks or anything. It was very primitive at the time. Still isn't many of the areas that he traveled even then. He was a noted explorer. He was a scientist. But most of all, he had a burning desire to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to lost men and women. And he was willing to go, as he put it, to, to go anywhere provided it be forward. That's a good attitude, isn't it? He said to go anywhere provided it be forward. In David's later years, he was offered an opportunity to come back to England where he had left and to live there basically a hero, the most well-known missionary of the 19th century. And uh, there he would have been taken care of, would have been comfortable. But instead, instead of enjoying the admiration of people, to reap the rewards of years on the mission field, instead he chose to remain in Africa and chose to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to those there in Africa. And it would be till one early morning he was found on his knees, lifeless, in his hut that he served the people of Africa. Upon his death, the natives say they removed his heart and they buried it under a mulva tree. His body was embalmed and was returned to his homeland. The native people he had served so faithfully all those years were quick to say his body can return to England, but his heart belongs to Africa. And that's where this song came from. Bury my heart on the mission field, Lord. A young girl in a far distant land. She has no one to show her God's love. No mother or father to wipe away her tears. She cries out in the
which had given such power unto men. If we take the time to read Mark chapter 2 and Mark chapter 5, we'd find that there are some details that were left out in Matthew. Sometimes people say, I don't understand why we need four Gospels if they just basically repeat what's been said before. Well, I don't know about you, but if you would happen to see a wreck here in the midst of a highway or right here on the road out here on Canton Road, they would come to you and they would say, could you write down the events as you see them? And you would begin to tell them what you saw. They'd also go to someone else that happened to see the accident and say, would you please write down what you saw? And they'd take eyewitness accounts and they would then put the eyewitness accounts together and come up, come to a conclusion of what really happened. Because you saw it from one perspective, another saw it from another perspective, another from another, and so forth. And you put them all together and you come to a conclusion that is probably pretty accurate. Well, that's indeed what God did with the Gospels. There are four eyewitness accounts of what took place. And so we take those four eyewitness accounts and we put them together and we come to a very good picture of what truly took place. And that's what happened here. In this particular case, in the book of Matthew, Matthew shares these details to us. But if we would take the time, as we said, to go to Mark or to Luke, we'd see that some details in Matthew were exempted or left out that are included in those books. For instance, we know that there were four men. And those four men brought their desperately ill friend to Jesus Christ. They were unable to force their way through the crowd. So instead of forcing their way or trying to get through with this man, all four of them carrying him, they instead carried him up to the roof. Either they climbed, if you will, up a set of outside stairwell or steps, or possibly they made their way somehow to the roof and then went from roof to roof to roof until they made their way to where Jesus was actually teaching to the actual location where he was. The rabbis of those days often called those roofs that were banned together the road of roofs because you could, only, you could almost walk across them. And so here they were more than likely walking across these roofs to get to where Jesus spoke, the crowd overflowing from inside. They couldn't make their way in any other way. And there they begin to remove the ceiling and there they begin to lower their friend or whomever it might have been, I mind you, to the floor below at the feet of Jesus Christ. We can only imagine the commotion. I mean, here they hear these footsteps on the roof, and they hear possibly cracking and crunching along the way. And next thing you know, there's light shining through the roof, and people are like, what is going on up there? I mean, the commotion had to be extremely great. I don't know about you, but when it rains here, and I'm in my office, I can hear the rain beating on this roof. It's a flat roof, and you can hear it as almost like it's plain as day. It's so loud at times, we can't even have a meeting in the back because it'll drown out the sound. I remember teaching back there in the singles class, and a big storm came through, and the rain was pouring, and hitting that flat roof, and was like, I was like, and you must stop! I mean, I had to yell because you couldn't hear anything. The commotion was so great. I can only imagine if there were four men walking up on the roof. Just the other day, I said to one of the guys, I said, who in the world's up on our roof? They said, nobody's on the roof. I think it's those birds walking around again. And it made that much noise that I thought the roof was caving in. Uh, just a little, a little bird. Can you imagine if four men were on a roof, especially a roof in that day, and they were carrying another man in their, with their, their own strength there, five different, the weight of five men on that roof, it would have made a tremendous commotion. Here they are staring up at the ceiling. What in the world's going on? And Jesus is up there speaking, and I'm sure that he obviously recognized and probably knew 
And there he kind of stops for a moment, and there the roof begins to be uncovered. All eyes begin to look up. There's murmuring, there's talking, there's, there's what in the world's going on? Who, what, what are they doing up there? I don't know. What, what, do you see anything? No, I can't see anything. Can you see anything? I mean, until finally the roof is uncovered, and these four men lower this man into the building. Down he comes. Can you imagine with me a hole in our roof now? Don't imagine it. <laughs> Down he comes, right at the feet of Jesus Christ. I can only picture now silence in the crowd. What is going to happen next? I mean, is the owner, the owner of the building has got to be furious. I mean, his roof has been upset. He's got a big hole in his roof now. What's he going to start yelling? He's going to get up and say, what are you doing in here? What do you guys think you're doing? Who do you think you are? No. Uh, maybe Jesus. What would Jesus do? I don't know. You look at each other. They're waiting to see the response of our Lord. We know how it ends ultimately. We know that before long, Jesus Christ begins to address this particular man and he, the Bible says, sees the faith of these men, and he, he begins to say to him, Thy sins be forgiven thee. And, I mean, the Pharisees and some of the religious leaders of that day that had come, obviously, to assess the Lord Jesus Christ, to evaluate his ministry. Oh, they've heard about Jesus, of course. I mean, here he was, this lunatic, this fanatic. He's out there, you know, uh, causing the mobs to, to believe in him. And we know that he must just be a hoaxer, a trickster. He's got to be truly a fraud. They would find him out for real. I mean, the people, how could they help but be, be, be misled because they're so ignorant and they're so stupid. But we are learned, and we have been in our our schools, our rabbinical schools. We know the word of God, and we know that this has to be a fraud. All those things that he's doing has to be a hoax. He's got to be tripping people. If they feel with the Holy Spirit, he's got to be, you know, hitting them on the forehead. He's got to be doing something to cause them to respond the way they are. Because surely it does not happen this way. And we'll find him out to be who he really is. But that day, when he was lowered there at their feet, and he said, Friend, thy sins be forgiven thee. Boy, I mean to tell you, the radar went up, the red flag shot up, and boy, they thought, nobody, nobody, nobody can forgive sin but God himself. He is blasphemous. And they were right about one thing. Nobody can forgive sin but God. Amen. But again, they didn't believe he was God. And boy, they were so offended. And then ultimately we see that Jesus finally said, guess what? To prove to you that I have authority and power on earth, not just in heaven, to forgive sin. Arise, walk. Take that bed and go to the house. This man gets up. I mean, can you imagine? I'm sure, I'm sure, can you imagine? He's laying down. I don't want to lay on the floor here, but but, uh, I'm, but he's laying down. That good. And all of a sudden, he says, arise and walk. And he's like, I'm, I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe he was like,
this morning, though, I want to take just a few moments, and I want to focus on the four men. So, oh, I've heard a message like this before. Oh, no, not like this one, though. <laughs> I want to focus on the four that bore this man to the master. And I believe that we can be encouraged in missions as a result of their efforts. And so this morning, I want to preach a simple message, very simple, very short, called Their Faith. Their Faith. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the wonderful privilege that we have to be a part of your family and to be a part of a family, a church family, Lord, that loves one another, that most importantly loves you. What a, what a privilege it is to give to missions and to be a part of a program that reaches beyond ourselves and something bigger than ourselves and to be a part of it, to be a part of reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, thank you for that opportunity. And Lord, bless us now in this message tonight, this morning. Excuse me, Lord. Help us to, Father, truly glean what we can and to be encouraged and moved and motivated by it. Lord, when we make our decisions and as we allow you to speak to our heart, Father, may we just obey you. That's all we need to do. We don't, we don't have to meet the expectations of a pastor or any other people. We just simply need to do what you tell us to do. But help us to be willing to come to you and ask and allow you to lead us. Now bless us in this message as we consider their faith. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Three simple thoughts. Very simple. Number one, here's the first one. It was their faith that brought the man to Jesus Christ. It was their faith. In verse 2 we read, And behold, they brought to him a sick man of the palsy. They brought to him. I mean, these were men that, just like you and I, they were just people, ordinary people. Nothing special about these men. We're not given any indication that they had studied the Word of God any more than anyone else. We're not told that they held positions in the church. We're not told that they were of any significance or value other than the fact they were just human beings, creations of God, people like you and I. And yet the Bible tells us that these four bore him to the Master. Do you know that he would have never made it to Jesus Christ without their effort? I mean, this man was a... a a, a, a man sick of the palsy. He was unable to walk. He could not get out on his own in a sense. He needed others to carry him or to take him wherever he was. Not truly, probably every day, somebody carried him or took him to a corner where there he would beg and ask for uh, uh, folks, alms, some people to give to him. I mean, he had no way of, of supporting himself. He had no way of taking care of the needs of himself or his family. No, instead, he was brought to a corner where there he would likely beg and ask people to give out of the benevolence of their heart just so that he could continue to live another day. He couldn't get to Jesus on his own, especially with the crowd bursting at the seams. There's no way he can maneuver or slither around the crowd without being stepped on or harmed even further. But no, in this case, he had four men. I don't know who they were. Were they his family? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Were they his friends? Again, we're not sure. Maybe they were just strangers. I don't know. i got to believe that somebody knew him. i got to believe that maybe one of them was a family at least. Gathered up a couple of his buddies, maybe, and said, Hey, buddy, can you help me? 
what are you guys doing? We're taking this guy to see Jesus. Oh, that Jesus. It's, oh, I've heard he's in the area. And maybe just a friend, family member, or maybe just a stranger gathered up there, got on each side, one on each corner of that particular pallet probably that he was on because it had to be probably a little more sturdy than just a, a, a basic sheet. And there they picked him up and they began to carry him and walk him through those streets till they arrived there where Jesus was and the crowd overflowed. Whether they were friends, family, or strangers, again, we're not told. But what we are sure of, what is very evident and clear, is that they were confident that the only one that could help this man was Jesus Christ. I mean, they knew that. They had enough faith. They believed that he alone was able. Man, the doctors couldn't help him. I mean, good old-fashioned chicken soup wouldn't be enough. It had to be none other than Jesus Christ himself, and these men had faith and believed that he alone could help their friend, family member, or stranger even, like no other. Their desire to get to the master was met with tremendous opposition, as any effort to bring men to Christ is. Anytime we try to bring somebody to the Savior, it's met with tremendous opposition. <clears throat> First of all, the crowds. I mean, the crowds were overflowing out into the street. How are we going to get this man that's paralyzed, if you will, with pain? How are we going to get him through the crowd and to the master? Uh, it just seems impossible. And, of course, it would on the onset seem impossible. Even as our job to reach the world with the gospel on the onset at first glance would certainly seem impossible. The crowds. You know, there's always the majority that will say, Jesus, who's he? I mean, serving the Lord, why? Spend so much time in church, give so much to the, the missions fund, why would you waste your time and money? Listen, there's so many other things you could be doing with your life rather than giving it to a so-called God. The crowds don't understand our faith in Jesus Christ. They don't understand why we sacrifice and why we give and why we go the way we do. They don't get it because they don't know him like we do. Right. The crowds sometimes are a problem. They become more of a liability than an asset, especially when it comes to getting people to the Savior. The cost. You say, cost? I didn't read anything about cost. Well, they must have known that tearing the roof off would cost them. I mean, think about it. You just show up here at Community Baptist Temple and you get up there with a, a sawzall and you, you, you say, you know what? We've got to get to that preacher, man. There's such a big crowd. We're never going to make it. We get over to our new building, it'll be like that. And so, anyway, you've got to cut down through. You cutting the ceiling out. And we're all going, what in the world? What's that noise? It's so loud. What's going on up there? And next thing you know, big old holes in the ceiling. Let me tell you something. Before you start cutting, I want to make sure you understand something. It's going to cost you. Because I'm not paying for that hole. You are. You put a hole in the roof. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy. Oh, by the way, folks, we're taking up a special love offering. Four men, along with a paralytic, it decided to come down. I didn't say lunatic, a paralytic. He decided they're lunatics. But anyway, coming down through a roof there, they decided to put a hole in our roof so they could get to the pastor. So guess what? We're taking a special love offering up so that we can pay that bill. You'd be like, you're nuts. They put a hole in it. They can pay for it. You and you. And you'd be right. Hey, these men knew. They knew it was going to cost them something. Somebody's going to have to come back and repair the roof. Somebody's going to have to fix the damage that was caused. The cost. And by the way, it cost something. 
to get people to Jesus Christ. It costs something. It's not cheap. It takes a sacrifice. It takes a, 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 not only effort, but it takes a cost, a price. And then there's the critics. I mean, there were probably family and friends who tried to discourage this endeavor. Leave Uncle John alone. The last thing he needs now is to be embarrassed by you fools carrying him through the streets, trying to get him to Jesus. He's lived like this his whole life. A few more years won't matter. I mean, this Jesus, he's not proven. We don't know who he really is. We don't know what he's all about. He's probably some fake or phony. And here you are going to drag him on off there to Jesus in hopes of him getting miraculously healed. I mean, you can only imagine they were critics, right? If you ever, if some of you have been saved. You know, you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and all of a sudden, church is important to you, and you find your family's not as impressed by that. Man, Jesus Christ, is, he's come into my life, and God is so good to me, and I, I can't wait to be in the house of God with the family of God. And they go, what? You're nuts. Well, what about your poor children? They, you're telling me they're not going to be able to, to be involved in all this stuff outside the church now like they were? You're more important, more concerned about being there Wednesday night than you are about being involved in the sporting activities of the this or that? And you're more concerned about them reading and praying in their Bible than you are even about them getting so-called education? I mean, I thought that the Bible's just extras. It's just, it's kind of what you do if you got an extra time and your little extra time in your schedule. And church is what you do and it's just, you know, it's comfortable, it's it's convenient. I mean, you don't you don't build your whole life around God and His church and His His Word. No, you build your life around things going on, and you sparkle the church in there, sprinkle it in from time to time. You may have experienced that a little bit in your life. You find that your coworkers aren't that excited that you got saved. Your your schoolmates they're not so thrilled when you go to them and invite them out to the youth activity. Okay, the singles out. I'm just saying there are those critics around as a result. Again, it's important to understand that their faith brought the man to Jesus Christ, but there was definitely some opposition, and there always is. Number two, it was their faith that led to his salvation. He would have never gotten saved if he wasn't in the presence of Jesus Christ, if he wasn't brought to him. He said, well, Jesus could have went to him. Not that day, couldn't have. And who knows how long he was going to be there. I don't know. But I do know this, without a doubt, if that man wasn't in front of Jesus Christ at his feet, he could have never been saved. He could have never had his sin forgiven. And that's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us here that Jesus looked at the man lying at his feet, and he said, son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, that's an interesting response, isn't it? I mean, i got to believe that if he's being lowered out of the ceiling down into the foot of Jesus Christ, after all the things that Jesus has done in the area, he's now returned to Capernaum there, and, and now all of a sudden here where he did his first miracle, i got to believe that he knows these men want this man to be healed. But instead of healing him physically, he addresses his sin issue. Oh, by the way, did you know that people that have disabilities are as much sinners as we who don't? 
Do you realize that people who are, are of different color of skin than you are just as much sinner as you are? Do you realize we're all in the same boat in this world and in America and, and across the globe? We are all equal sinners today. Everybody, everybody's in the same boat. And so here he is being lowered. And we think to ourselves, of course, him being healed would be the best thing that Jesus could ever do. Him being, uh, being able to walk, that would solve all his problems. Jesus understands something that you and I overlook too often, that it's more important that your soul is safe for eternity than you can walk while on earth. Amen. Amen. Pray. And boy, I'll tell you what Jesus says. <laughs> be a good... Listen. Sir. Sir. Be of good cheer. Put a smile on your face, friend. Thy sins be forgiven. I don't know how he responded to that. I don't know if he's thinking, why, why? And his buddies are standing up there on the roof looking down, going, why do we drag them all the way over here? I don't know if they did that or not. But I do know this, his sins would have never been forgiven if they wouldn't have gotten to the Savior. <clears throat> Their faith got him to Jesus. And it, therefore, it was a result of their faith that he now is forgiven of his sin and he's on his way to heaven. <clears throat> Jesus has the power to forgive sins on earth. And if sins are to be forgiven at all, ever, they must be forgiven by Him. There's no priest, there's no preacher, there's no rabbi, there's no religious man of any stripe or color that can forgive man's sin but Jesus Christ alone. Amen. What a wonderful thing to have your sin forgiven, right? I mean, literally, to know that you are right with God. That you're on your way to heaven. It's a wonderful thing. So, we learned a couple things. One, it was their faith that brought that the man to Jesus Christ. It was their faith that led to his salvation. And finally, number three, it was their faith that ultimately changed his life forever. That's something. His faith that ultimately changed his life forever. Not only did the Lord cure this man of his sin, but now he cures him of his sickness. Of course, there's those religious leaders there. Thank God they were there that day for this, you know, palsied man. Because now Jesus says, fine, you want to, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a little illustration now. I want you to see with your eyes the power that I do have and the authority that is mine on earth, not just in heaven. So just to prove that I can forgive sin, I mean, is it any harder to forgive sin than it would be to tell him to rise and take up his bed and walk? Okay, just to prove to you I can do all both? Okay, arise. And he rose. That's pretty amazing. And you know it was their faith that changed that man's life forever. I mean, they were the ones that gathered him up, carried him to the Lord Jesus Christ. They were the ones who removed the, the structure above and lowered him down at the feet of Jesus. They were the ones that were responsible for the fact that he was able to forgive his sins. And now, they were the ones. And their faith was the reason he now walks and his life has changed forever. Their faith. Their faith. <laughs> Do you realize tonight or this morning that it'll be our faith 
that gets people to the Savior. It'll be our faith that brings them to salvation. It'll be our faith that changes their lives forever. The Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. May I say today that it is normal. It is right. It is the way it's supposed to be for you to get saved and your life change. If your life hasn't changed, it's because you haven't let Christ change it. And let me tell you, that is the anomaly. That is the problem. It's not, it's not like, well, all those fanatic Christians, that group of Christians over there, the rest of us Christians are pretty laid back and taking it easy. Well, the norm is not to lay back and take it easy. The norm is not to live in our sin and continue to perpetuate sin. No, the real norm is to live a sanctified, separated, holy life under Jesus Christ. That's the life God intends, and that's normal in the Christian life. Amen. Abnormality is when we do not change. Abnormality is when we do continue in. Abnormality is when we perpetuate sin in our life. But normal behavior, biblical behavior, is a noticeable change in the direction and in the life of a believer. Romans 6, 4 says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. It'll be our faith that gets people to the Savior. Our faith that brings them to salvation. Our faith that will change their lives forever. We see the faith of these men. And we see the result of it. I wonder today, how's your faith? What's your faith producing? Have you been blessed to see lives literally transformed and changed because of your faith? You say, well, I don't know if I... Let me tell you something. When we even sacrifice to give to missions, I'm not saying that it alleviates our responsibility in our own homes and in our own communities to tell others about it, but it certainly goes a long ways when men and women, boys and girls, are coming to the Savior. And there, while at the Savior's feet, they're being saved. And when they rise up off their feet of being lost and being saved, now they're walking in newness of life. Let me tell you something. Change is taking place because of our faith. What about it? Understand it will be your faith that will bring men and women face to face with the Savior. Your faith. It will be your faith that will lead them to salvation. It will be your faith that will change their life forever. God, help us to have the faith we need, like these men, to be willing to reach out to people that are in a position where they cannot get to Jesus Christ, where their minds have been corrupted and where they're living in darkness and they cannot see any hope or help ahead. And yet we come to them and say, we will carry you to the Master. We will give you opportunity to meet Him face to face. Follow me. Let's go. And they meet Jesus Christ and He then says, I love you with all my heart. And I died for you 2,000 years ago on a cross. And I shed my precious blood just for you. I was buried and rose again the third day because you're that special and unique to me. And I love you with all my heart. And I want you to receive and accept me as your Lord, your Savior. And they leave changed. Forever. That'll be your faith. My faith. Faith promise missions is about bearing others, carrying others to the Savior so that they can meet Him, that they can be saved, 
and that their lives can be changed forever. That's what he wants for you today. If you've never trusted him, if there's never been a time or place in your life when you can remember putting your total faith and trust in Jesus alone, no, not in religion, no, not even in the Bible, because, see, the Bible only points to Jesus Christ. It's Christ you must find in that book. And so if there's never been that time in your life when you can point to him and you can say, I remember meeting the master. I remember him saying, thy sins be forgiven. And I remember getting off my, my off the ground and on my feet and walking in newness of life. I want you to know that's what he wants for you. Personally, he wants that for you. And then if we've been there, done that, he wants our faith to help others get to him. So he can save them and change their life forever. What will you do with the Master? What will you do with Jesus? And what will you do with those souls that are lost around the world that need Him? For we have an opportunity to exercise our faith and to bring men and women, boys and girls, to the same. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time we've had.